Well, happy Mother's Day to those of you in the room who are mothers. It's uh, great to be with you. You know, my mom played a huge role in my life. Uh, she prayed for me every day, and that's a great privilege. And I want to just take a moment to those of you who are moms in the room to say, your prayers for your children matter, whether that's right now today or whether that's next week or whatever. You know, you may not have a child in your lap right now, but that child might be 40 or 50 or 60 or whatever. Pray for them. Uh, you know, it, it was a huge part of my life, and so I just, I'm so grateful for that opportunity. And I know that some of you may have had not so great relationships with your mothers, and for that I just say, you know, it's difficult, and I'm, I'm really sorry for that. But it doesn't change the reality that God loves you anyway, <laughs> no matter who your mom was. But for those of you mothers in the room, thank you. Thank you so much for showing compassion to your children because it matters in their lives so much. Would you just take a moment, for those moms in the room, if you're... Um, with your mom's room or not, it doesn't matter. Would you just give them a hand and just say thank you with me? You know, obviously your lives matter, mothers, and so I want to acknowledge that this morning before we jump into uh, our message. Well, it was just a few weeks ago, actually, I was on an airplane for the first time in about 13 months, and some of you know because, you know, the last few months it's been a little difficult, but I was on the way to a national conference, and so I was flying, and I was in the airport, and, uh, you know, when you haven't done something for a while that you've done several times, it just feels different, right? Like you start, you start no noticing things you never noticed before. And so I was in that place. Like I was realizing I'm sitting at the gate waiting to get on. And here's my little thing. I'm like around a lot of people. I'm a little uncomfortable with like, what is, like what's going on? I'm kind of observing people around me. And, you know, I'm being slightly judgmental if I have to just admit myself. So, you know, I, I see the lady with the giant bag that I hope doesn't go over my head, and I'm also seeing, you know, a guy that's pretty good-sized. I'm hoping he's not sitting beside me because the seats are already a little close. And I'm seeing then those people who, you know, you look around and maybe just don't have a clue, and you're like, will you ever get your luggage together so we can actually get on this thing? Because they are picking up all their bags and hanging them off their shoulders. And then I'm listening to the guy who is at the gate announcing the attendant, and um, he's rather irritated with people, and he's announcing in a rather irritated voice. If you've been in the airport, you know that sometimes it's a little hard to hear. He had a bit of an accent, which made it even harder to hear, and he just was kind of gruff. And um, I was like, what? Like, what is the deal? Like, can, can, like, just have some pride in your job. Like, take a little time to slow down and tell me what's happening. And, and I'm, I'm looking around, and then we start getting on the airplane, and I realize that the attendant, who was a little gruff, has a line of people standing there waiting to have an opportunity to get on the airplane. The airplane is full, uh, which made it its own complications. But, you know, he's got this line of people that aren't very happy with him. And it kind of pricked my spirit a little bit. I'm like, oh, that's why he was so gruff. I just didn't, wasn't paying attention to the reality that he's, he's in this place where it's not very easy right now. And I'm, I'm kind of just watching things going on around me. And then I sit down and kind of settle into my seat and I put my headphones on and I turn on my audio book and it's Diane's book, Wreck for God. And guess what? It's chapter seven. Guess what chapter seven's entitled? Contempt or compassion? It's like, thanks Lord for the reminder that I've been very judgmental and I am sorry. And so for the next couple of hours, I sat and listened to that book in that conversation, thinking, Lord, I'm glad I'm not on my own on this one because I'm really messing it up. And unfortunately, my lack of compassion was on display. 
And I was seeing kind of the reality of like, I was deeming people unworthy because of whatever. Uh, you know, I was like, your gruff tone, your way of, like, it, it, was, it was not good. But I was so grateful that the Father challenged me right then and said, you know, this isn't about you. This isn't about you judging people. This isn't about you trying to figure it out. This is actually about me, the Father, highlighting to me, Jim, in the seat. Like, your compassion needs to grow. And you need to see people how Jesus sees them. Because, you see, contempt is really just seeing people as unworthy, and that's what contempt really is. Compassion is seeing people as worthy no matter what and no matter where they are in their life. And we've been in this series, and, you know, I believe Jesus wants to take us on a journey of transformation because that's who He is. He transforms us as He lives in us, and the part of us that's inside of us, you know, we're looking at the gap between what the Bible calls us to and kind of where we live our lives, right? That's kind of the gap that we're looking at. We're realizing that we want to see Jesus change us. We want to see our lives changed. And Colossians 1 verse 27 says, living within you is this Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. This mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes a heavenly treasure chest of hope filled with the riches of glory for His people. And God wants everyone to know it. That's the God that lives in me. That's the God that lives in you. You know, this means that our union with Jesus, that we can actually experience transformed life, that we actually want freedom and we want fruit from it, right? We want something to be changed in us. We don't want just transformation for us. We actually want transformation to change us and then change the world around us as well. You know, today I want to look at some of those challenges of growing in our compassion. And maybe you're like me. Maybe you struggled with it. Maybe you didn't. But compassion is a huge part of ministry. And we are all called, it is not just the church staff or just the pastor, we are all called, if you're a believer in Jesus, we're all called to show compassion to people and minister to them. That's actually the gospel. And so this morning when I talk about growing in compassion, I want us to think about growing in compassion for a purpose. We're growing in compassion so that we minister to people in that way. Jesus over and over in Matthew talks about he had compassion on people, and then he healed them. Or he had compassion on people because he saw them as sheep with no shepherd. Jesus was full of compassion. And that's what he's called us into and how to live. Well, I think we better pray because you know what? It's the Jesus in us that changes us, not me. Nothing more than him in us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that even in the midst of our messed up selves that we have, even there, you transform us and that you live in us, and that you compel us to be changed by your power. Lord, it's not us trying to think about one more thing, but it's about you changing us. And so we just invite you to come right now, Holy Spirit, and teach us. Would you train us? Would you help us, Lord, our hearts to be open and our minds to be open to the reality of who you are in us that changes us? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the very definition of contempt is that the feeling that a person or a thing is beneath me or unworthy of my love or unworthy of me. You know, when I get stuck thinking about me first, when I was in the line in the airport, you know who I was thinking about first? Me. I was worried about my head and the heavy. I was worried about me in the seat. I was worried about people getting on so I could get on. I was all worried about me. And when I'm worried about me, my self-evaluation, my un 
duly a lofty evaluation of myself actually brings me to a place of devaluing the people around me. It's not God's plan, and we kind of realize that. But, you know, we have this um, ability to think of ourselves, the Bible says, more highly than we ought to think sometimes, and that causes us to devalue people around us. It takes more than me, though, just trying to buck up and do better. It takes more than me just trying to figure it out. It takes more than reading another book or listening to another podcast. It takes the Jesus who lives in me, my union with Christ, to change me. Because otherwise, it's just me trying to work on me. I haven't had much success with that. And I don't know about you, but when me tries to work on me, it's just, it's my own power. And the God who lives in me gives me power. You know, in Matthew 9, we see uh, Jesus on the other side of the lake, and he's teaching, he's healing people, he's doing ministry, okay? And he goes back across the lake, and he heals another guy that was paralyzed. He raises a little girl from the dead. He heals the lady. He casts out demons, the Bible tells us. And then he comes back across, and he sees Matthew. And I don't know if you remember who Matthew was, but Matthew's a tax collector. Not high on the list of people who were great, honest people. He was probably not thought of very highly in their, in their culture in which they lived. But Matthew comes up to him and invites him to dinner. And so we're going to pick up in the Scripture in Matthew 9, uh, verse 10. And it says this. Later when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with his close followers, a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. When the Pharisees, the religious leaders is who they are, saw him keeping this kind of company, they had a fit, and they lit into Jesus' followers. What kind of example is this for your, from your teacher acting cozy with crooks and misfits, people who they deemed unworthy, right? And Jesus, overhearing, shot back. Who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? Go figure out what the Scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not to coddle insiders. You see, Jesus had compassion on the people around him. Jesus had compassion on the people that society, actually religious leaders, deemed as misfits and people that didn't, didn't add up, people who didn't own up to what they were. That's the people that Jesus reached out to. Now, it seems like this is a pretty easy scripture when you read it. You're like, oh, that's pretty easy. I'm supposed to love the people who are unlovable, right? Like, okay, that's, that's easy enough. I really believe we actually need the Holy Spirit, though, to teach us what that means. Because I need to get it in here. You see, just getting it in my head doesn't significantly change me. When I get it in here, it significantly changes how I react to other people. We can either tend towards this idea of people look at this as two opposite sides of the coin, rigid religion or twisted tolerance. And I would propose to you this morning that neither of those is actually what Jesus did. You know, it's out of our union with Christ and that intimacy, if you were here last week that Curtis talked about, that intimacy with Christ, that union with Him that significantly changes us and brings us where we are. You know, it was Mother Teresa who probably did this as well as anyone and we see that how she interacted with people was different, right? And actually, in Di's book, she has a little quote about Mother Teresa, and I want to read that because I think it's significant into uh, thinking about how we interact with people around us. This is about Mother Teresa. It says, she not only served the people in need, but she dignified them. 
Each week, night, her mother, Mother Teresa's mother, invited the poor people into their home for dinner. It was through serving these visitors that she first discovered Jesus in his most distressing disguise. People often ask her why she loved the poor so much. In response, she would grasp their hand, wiggle one finger at a time, and explain it this way. You did it to me. In her mind, you could count the gospel in five fingers. She was alluding actually to Matthew 25, which talks about the final judgment, but it says this, for I was a stranger and you took me in, hungry you gave me food, thirsty you gave me drink, naked you clothed me, ill you cared for me, in prison you visited me. Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. The secrecy to her infectious joy and boundless compassion was that in every person, Mother Teresa, every person she saw this, every paralytic, every invalid, every leper, every orphan, all of the people that society caused outcasts, she recognized Jesus in them. She knew in her bones that by serving others, she was actually serving Jesus. Colossians 3.23 says this in the Passion Translation, put your heart and soul into every activity you do as though you're doing it for the Lord himself and not merely for others. You see, Jesus loved everyone. He loved the unlovable. He loved the ones that society considered outcasts. You see, the compassion that we have literally impacts the people around us and impacts the way we actually live our lives in relationship with other people. It affects so many of our decisions. It affects the choices that we make on a regular basis. Our compassion impacts us tremendously. Compassion compels me to see the worth in other people. It compassion compels me to see who other people are and what they are about. Compassion compels me to see other people as created by Jesus, like I was created by Jesus, and that there's actually no difference. You know, as a follower of Jesus, compassion compels me to, to action as well. It compels me to do something with the love I have for people. Jesus' compassion, like I said at the beginning, it says he had compassion and he healed them. He had compassion and he, that's who Jesus was. And that's what he's calling us into. Compassion leads us in a place where we value people so much that we do something. We literally step in and we have compassion on them. We literally do what Jesus did when he had compassion. He healed people. We had, he had compassion on people and he moved. He did something with it. You know, we don't only get to have compassion on people. We get to move with power. That's what Scripture tells us. Do you realize in John 14, 12, it says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. Anyone, not the pastor, not necessarily church staff, anyone who believes. That includes anyone who's a follower of Jesus. It says, you have the power. We're empowered, guys. We can do something with this. It's not just we sit here on Sunday and like, yeah, 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 I'm empowered, whatever. No, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. Tomorrow, when you go out of this place, do something with the power. He inhabited you for a reason. He wants you to do something. We're supposed to change the world, right? And if we're going to change the world, we've got to do it with Him in us. Not my own power, right? Not me. Jesus in me is what powers me. 
When I really grasped that concept, you know what? I was not a preacher. I wasn't on staff at a church. I was a teacher and a coach. And when I grasped that concept, I was so excited. I said, you know, this is going to burn in my heart. I can't change. Like, so no matter where you are, whether you're a mom at home, you're a business owner, you're whatever it might be your particular lot in life, the Jesus that burns in you, the compassion that He gives you, He's calling you. Because the good news is the gospel is that He lives in us. That's the gospel in a very short. Good news of the gospel is He inhabits us. He is here with us. We are united with Him. That's the good news of the gospel. And because of that, we minister to each other with a different heart. We literally come to this place where we're doing things for one another, might be praying for each other, it might be giving a a prophetic word to somebody, it might be encouraging someone, it actually might just be doing things with your hands for someone, okay? But the love of Jesus in me compels me to action. It takes me down a path. Everyone's invited to love and have compassion on people. 1 Corinthians 13 says it really clearly, and I love this because it's not about what I do, here's what it's about. If I were to speak with eloquence in earth's many languages and in the heavenly tongues of angels, yet I did not express myself with love, my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbal. And if I were to have the gift of prophecy, and prophecy is a good gift, with a profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, and if I possessed unending supernatural knowledge, another good thing, and if I had the greatest gift of faith, another good thing, that even could move mountains, but have never learned to love, then I am nothing. And if I were to be so generous as to give away everything I own to feed the poor, another good thing, and to offer my body to be burned as a martyr, hard but called, right? Without the pure motive of love, I would gain nothing of value. You see, compassion leads us towards ministering to others. Ministering can take a few different forms, but it brings the power of Jesus to today's world, right where we live. You know, many times ministering actually leads us into messy places. But let's be real. Life is messy. My life is messy sometimes, and yours probably is too, if you were honest with me. And because life is messy, people are dealing with real things, with addictions, with cancer, with mental and emotional afflictions, with relationship struggles, with families breaking down. Life is messy. People are living in messes. But the compassion Jesus has for them takes him into the mess, not away from the mess. And our compassion should take us into those places as well. You know, people deal with real-life things. People need compassion more today than maybe ever in the history of our world because it's such a foreign thing. And as Jesus followers, we have it in us because we live, he lives in us. We have it in us to give to those people around us. We actually are empowered to do it, and we're empowered to do it in the mess. You know, maybe you can relate to this, but for me, it kind of looks like this. Just a while back, I had this happen in my life. I had a day planned. It was full of things that needed to be done. My list was kind of long, and I thought, I will get this list done. I will conquer the list because I've got it written out, and it'll be fine. Well, in about the middle of my day, when I had kind of started on my list and began checking things off rather uneventfully, what happened was I got a phone call from the hospital, and there was an emergency room call. Now, lest you think, what kind of pastor are you? It wasn't even anyone from our church that I really was that familiar with, but they kind of needed help right then. 
And I will admit in my heart, I was like, oh, no, because here's what it means in pastoring. When you get a call and it's an emergency room call or something like that, you literally just drop everything you do and you go do it. That's what you do. And that doesn't go with my grain real well, so I don't know if I'm a good pastor or not when I say that, but uh, it doesn't go with my grain real well because I like to get things done. So as I kind of went out the door, I'm like prayed a famous prayer, which is real simple, which you hear I use quite frequently, which is help, Lord, because I knew I was in need of help. And I was reminded as I went out, I'm like, Jesus in me restores me. I'm reminding myself of this. Jesus in me restores me. Like, I ever do that? You know, you say it, and you're like, okay, Lord, help me out here. And by the time I get to the hospital, I sense my frustration is lifted slightly, and I'm realizing that I actually have compassion for the people that were in this place. And I realized that the Jesus in me is what changed me because I did not have enough strength or garter up enough mm, willpower to pull it off. And I was reminded, I'm like, Lord, I'm so thankful that you live in me, that I can count on you, the God who lives in my heart, who is in union with me, to do this. Because if it were left to me, it'd be a messy situation and it wouldn't be that great. And even when my plans are messed up, even when it takes me into messy places and messes up my whole day, I'm like, the mess of ministry is worth it. And the compassion of Jesus compels me into a place where being messy is okay. But it's a growing place. It's a place where we are being transformed as we go. You know, we're actually called to minister to each other, like I said earlier. You know, it's not about success all the time. It's not about how many have you prayed for, how many have been healed, how many have you seen. It's actually simpler than that. We read this in 1 Corinthians 13. What was the simple thing? The simple thing that changed in me when I was at the hospital was I began to love them. The simple passage in, in 1 Corinthians 13 is a very simple thing. It's this. It's all above everything. Love. That's what Scripture says. Now, this passage is really that simple. You say, is it really that simple? No, it's, it really is that simple. You know, I'm pretty lovable, right? You're pretty lovable, right? Are you? I, you know, I don't know. I'm asking, but it's the other people out there, right? I'm kidding. I'm not that lovable lots of times. And maybe sometimes, to give you a little hint, maybe you're not either. But the reality is, there's a world that needs love. They need the love of Jesus that comes from the Jesus that lives in us. And we can be kind and all of those things. And can I just give you a little bit of a challenge? Being kind is not always enough. Sometimes we need to let the love in us, the Jesus in us, shine through the stuff that's there. I mean, seriously, have you seen how Jesus responds to people? Have you seen how he works through messes? Have you read the stories? Some of them you may recognize, but you know, Jesus isn't afraid of our stuff. He's not afraid of the mess we're in. He's not. He actually went into the mess. He rescued people over and over. We see him doing those kind of things. You know, the religious leaders in John 8 came to Jesus with a woman caught in adultery. Maybe you know the story, but I'll tell it to you, and you can go back and read it in John 8 if you want to. They, they, this bunch of guys bring this woman caught in adultery. Now, I find it rather interesting that the law actually said she should be stoned, but you know what else the law said? The guy should be stoned who was caught in adultery too, but they didn't bring him, incidentally, so I don't know. I think they had a little bit of a jaded thing they were trying to do, but the Bible tells us they were trying to trap Jesus by what they were doing, Right? So they bring this woman to him, and they're like, Lord, she's been caught in adultery, and the, the law says we should stone her. What do you say? 
Tough question, right? Jesus is caught in a mess. He's kind of in a messy place because the religious leaders are who brought her. It wasn't just a bunch of random guys. It was the religious leaders. They were trying to trap Jesus for what they were doing. Jesus didn't say much. He was quiet. Jesus' response to those guys was this. Let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And here's what it says in verse 9, chapter 8, verse 9. It says, upon hearing that, her accusers slowly left the crowd one at a time. Beginning with the oldest to the youngest, they left with a convicted conscience. Until finally, Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there in front of him. So he stood back up and said to her, dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? Looking around, she replied, I see no one, Lord. And Jesus said, then certainly I don't condemn you either. Go from now on and be free from a life of sin. You see, Jesus' compassion, Jesus' compassion for the woman who was caught in adultery, he didn't identify her sin, he didn't call her out. Neither did he condone it. And so many times I hear people in a place where people are in a tough spot and I see people want to call out the sin in them. Can I just, just encourage you for a second? You know actually what Jesus did? He said, neither do I condemn you. Quit sinning and go live your life. That's the compassion of Jesus. He didn't condone her sin. He didn't even rebuke her for sin. He simply said this, be free from sin. That's our call. You know, Jesus' compassion on this woman actually led him to a place where it was messy. He was with religious leaders who did not like him, who wanted to make him look stupid. But Jesus' compassion on the woman led him to a place of actually ministering to her. In front of those religious leaders, Jesus chose to have compassion and minister instead of just continuing on his miracle way. You see, our union with him, his union with his father, allowed him to be different. It allowed him to live in that place. Well, on my flight home from my experience of being judgmental on the way out, my attitude was slightly different. And as I walked to the gate that morning and getting ready to get on, my heart was a little more open to watching people around me and just seeing the interactions. I felt compelled just to say, Father, what are you doing now? And the Lord just kind of said, just watch. You don't have to go do any ministry. Just watch what I'm doing. And I could sense the tension in the people around me. The plane was full. The flight was full. People don't like flying on full flights. There's people standing in line again. Almost exactly the same scenario that I had earlier. There were several little children walking around and kind of running around. And if you know children on flights, sometimes that can make you a little uptight. Um, and there was a mom pushing this little almost one-year-old along in her stroller along in his stroller, I should say. And I'm sure the mom was uptight, so, you know, nod to mothers here. You understand this if you've ever flown with children. It's like, oh, hope this kid's going to be okay. And I could sense she was really tight, uptight. But I watched something that was really fascinating to me as I watched. This little child, about a year old, not quite walking, because he could kind of get out and push the stroller around by himself, but he couldn't walk on his own, was looking at people and smiling at them, no judgment. He didn't care what they looked like. 
He didn't care how clueless they looked. He didn't care how big the suitcase was they were carrying along on their side. Any of that didn't matter to this little child. He just smiled at people. And, you know, people interacted with him like, hi, how are you? And the tension in that little area where I was at started to release. And there was this non-judgmental thing that began to happen. And it was as if the Lord dropped my heart right then and said, you need to be more like a little child. You need to love like that. You need to show compassion even when it's not within you to show compassion. You know, what if we became more like little children? What if we saw people first for who God sees them for who they are? That little child didn't have any preconceived ideas. He just is like, hey, you're a person like me. I love you. Now, I'm not naive enough to think that we don't have adult things going on in our mind, but I am challenging you to say, is that God? Maybe not. Maybe how we see little children is actually how God's called us to live. Maybe the reality is the compassion that Jesus shows to people is very similar to what we see in little children. Maybe we have examples right in front of us. But you know, this whole thing is for more than just us. Jesus' compassion for us is for more than just us. The truth is that what burns in our hearts is for more than just us. The oneness that we experience with Christ, Him in us, is for more than just me. And if you're a follower, it's for more than just you. Colossians 4, verse 5 and 6 says, Walk in the wisdom of God as you live before the unbelievers, and make it, do, make it your duty to make it known. Let every word you speak be drenched with grace and tempered with truth and clarity, for then you will be prepared to give a respectful answer to anyone who asks about your faith. You see, we have this amazing gift of our union with Christ. We have this amazing gift of Jesus in us. We have the amazing gift of having experienced the compassion of Christ in us. That's the gospel. The gospel is Jesus in us, right? That's the gospel. That's what changes us. But sometimes we forget. But it's a transformation process. It happens in us as He lives in us. That's how transformation happens. People are like, I want to watch another podcast. I want to listen to another thing. I want to read another book. I'm like, no, actually, that's called self-help. That's not that there's not good books and good things out there, but it's actually more than that. It's Jesus in you. That's what changes you. That's what brings you to the place where you can say, I love you, even when I don't think like you, you don't think like me, and we're in very different places. I can love you anyway. You know, this past week, this is how it worked, works in me continually. Just about the time I think, oh, I'm making progress. I'm in this transformation has happened to me, and I made this trip to the hospital. I see God move. And then this past week, I'm driving. I'm on my way to another meeting late at night that I shouldn't have set with a list of things that needed to be done. And my sermon not complete. And I'm grumbling. I'm like, Lord, why did I do this? Like, what is my problem here? And I'm like, I don't even really want to go to this meeting. And on my drive, I'm reminded of my message that I'm preaching today. God's so gracious, right? I'm like, Jesus, I know you're in me, and I know you're transforming me. And I, brought, and I breathed my famous prayer, Lord, help me again. 
And you know what happened to me? Almost instantly, something shifted to me, and I felt compassion for the meeting I was headed to. My heart shifted. But that's how the Jesus in me works, right? It works like this. Sometimes we just have to acknowledge the reality that He's there. He's always there. But the acknowledgement of Him changes and shifts us and gives us hope and lets us live a brand new life. And it takes us to a place where we can say, yes, Lord, I'll be the one who has compassion. I'll love. I'll minister. I'll do something that you're calling me to do because Jesus in me changes me and shifts me and makes me new. You know, as we go to worship this morning and the worship band can start coming up, um, I want to invite you to something. I don't think we are very good at sharing things we haven't experienced. This morning, I want you to just take a little bit of time to experience Jesus' compassion for you and for those around you as well. So I want to invite you this morning as we go to a time of worship, if you would just take a moment, open your hands when we stand together to worship, and worship together. And say, Lord, show me your compassion. So that this week when I go out of this place, I can show compassion to the people who are around me as well. I believe that's what God's called us to and where He's invited us to be. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for Your blessings, and thank You that You care about us, and thank You that in so many ways, Lord, You challenge us, but You not only challenge us, You transform us. Lord, You come and You don't let us be the same. Your presence in us changes us forever. We are marked, Lord, and we are transformed, and we are continuing to be transformed by Your ongoing presence in us every single day. Thank You for Your blessings, and Lord, as we begin to worship You through song, and you call us into even more, uh, Lord, would you just allow us to experience your compassion for the people who are around us? Allow us to experience your compassion, Lord, for the brother or sister who is sitting beside us or the family member who is challenging or the person who's at work or wherever we might be. Thank you, Father. Bless us now as we worship in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>